Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Wild Wild Podcast. My name is Adrian Smith, and I am joined by the illustrious Rod Barnett. Hello, Rod. Ciao. Ill- illustrious. Uh, yes, of course. I, I th- thank you. I'm glad to be here. Now, lots of exciting things to talk about, but I have to bring this up because this was just announced yesterday. Arrow have just announced this box set called Gothic Fantastico, oh. and I was looking in the uh, the small print, and I spotted your name in there. So, first of all, congratulations on keeping this a secret for however long, <laughs> but um, could you tell us a little bit about this box set and how you are involved? Uh, well, I know very little about the... I, I know... Uh... I know what has been made public in general about the set. I only have one small piece of information, which is, you know, one small non-public piece of information, which I don't Ooh. think anybody would be upset about me releasing, okay. um, which is what my participation involved. Um, basically, it is an amazing looking set. And uh, mm. to, to, to be honest, they kept a lot of the details from me as well. Uh, simply because uh, there was no reason for me to know it, but I was not aware that it was that the film that I worked on was going to actually be part of an entire box set. That that is very exciting. That's that's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I wrote uh, an essay on one of the four films included in that set. So um, yeah, should we just say what these films are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the... So this is uh, the box set is called Gothic Fantastico for Italian Tales of Terror. Lovely bit of alliteration there. Um, and we've got, sadly, no Antonio Margariti. Uh, but once again... Not yet. <laughs> once, a, once again, another Italian box set from Arrow with no Margariti. But anyway, that's just my own personal hang-up. So we've got a film... None of these films I've ever seen, I have to first of all say. Oh, we've got wow. Lady, Lady Morgan's Vengeance. Then we've got The Blancheville Monster. Uh, we've got one called The Third Eye. And then the witch, 
there are loads of films called The Witch, so I'm not sure which witch is which. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so which of these films did you write about? Uh, I wrote about The Third Eye, which is a, a oh, wonderful... Okay. All, all, of the, all these movies are absolutely beautiful films, and uh, The Third Eye is... Uh, it's, it's underknown and underseen, especially here in the States, which is a real shame. Mm. It's an early role for both uh, Erica Blank and for Franco Nero. And it's an exceptional oh, yes. film. So how did you, what, what, did, what are you bringing to this? How did you get involved? Uh, I, they, uh, I was asked by the, uh, the curator of the set, uh, Kat Ellinger, and I was more oh, than wow. happy to jump in. Uh, I, I, I've, I've, uh, I, I had not watched or rewatched The Third Eye in years and years and years. I just remember being kind of fascinated by it. And uh, then getting to, to go back through it again, and it's like, yeah, I, believe me, I, I've got plenty to say about this movie. And mm. uh, as far as the uh, the other films in the set, I'm very excited. Uh, we did a, a, an episode on the Nashi cast about the Blancheville monster just a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I've recently revisited that film. And The Witch... Is that a, is that a Spanish-Italian co-production then? Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I'd have to look it back up, but I think so, yeah. yeah. Okay. And mainly because, uh, so, uh, if memory serves, uh, a number of the actors involved in the Blancheville monster also have some Nashy connections. Right. Uh, including, of course, the, the mighty Helga LeMay. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The so, one and only. <laughs> the one and only. So <laughs> that, that, that if, if that's going to draw you in, trust me, that's a good mm. thing to be drawn into. But uh, I have to admit, the, the the Witch is a phenomenal movie. I haven't rewatched it. I think it's from 1966 as well. Mm. Third Eyes from 66 as well. But I haven't rewatched The Witch in oh a blue billion years. And I know that when I last saw it, it was on a you know, <laughs> it was on a, on a on a doopy looking VHS tape at the right. very best. So the fact that all four of these movies are coming out, uh, just uh, th- this this is this is very exciting. I'm just. My my participation was very very small. Like I said, one essay out of you know, probably several. I, from what I'm from what I'm reading, the uh, the essay will be included in the eighty page book that comes with the uh, the set that comes out, and which is very exciting. It means I'm I'm next to uh, my my name pales in comparison to the people that I'm <laughs> in this booklet with. I mean, Roberto Curdy, Rob mm-hmm. Talbot. Uh, Jerome Reuter and Kimberly Lindbergh's. I mean, I mm. to, to be honest, the the phrase "I'm not worthy" springs to mind immediately. <laughs> I'm sure they think the same about you, Rob. I, I I've given them no good reason to feel that way about me. <laughs> hey, none of those guys have got, have had two podcasts running for more than ten years. Uh, well, the, there uh, there is that, <laughs> but at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that, that does not necessarily make me a good uh, a good choice to be a, a writer for something of this uh, well, stature. But anyway, in that case, we'll just skip over your essay and move straight on to the next one. Probably the best way to get it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's really exciting. And one thing I love about the Arrow sets is that they do include a book, and like they still include booklets. One of my sort of ongoing disappointments with a lot of box other box sets, particularly um, like Severin or vinegar syndrome is they don't tend to do booklets or books they did do books with the christopher lee boxes i've just been reading uh, i've just been watching actually one of those this morning mm-hmm. but by and large they don't tend to do written essays they don't have booklets and i the, the essay um booklet is always my favorite extra in a in a blu-ray so um 
it's great that they they're including a whole book full of essays for this one so yeah it's very exciting comes out in october and i'm sure everybody listening to this um, will have already added it to their uh, long wish lists ah yes um i know i'll be but yeah i mean i haven't seen any of these films but they all sound great and like you mentioned yours has got franco nero in and the other film there's another film's got richard johnson yeah who i'm a big big fan of um so yes i will be checking these out and for fans um, of uh, erica blank uh she's in well, of course. Uh, she's in two of the films so you know oh right there we go yeah good stuff congratulations um also just uh telling everybody what you've been up to on the bloody pit uh you just did a great episode with nicholas schlegel on crimi films because uh, of course he just wrote that really excellent book on the Rialto Crimis, which um, I see you've uh, you've reviewed the book on your blog. I also re- did a review of that book a couple of months ago for Cinema Retro. Mm, um, yeah. I, I, I tried not to read your review when I realized I was going to oh. have to write one. I was <laughs> like, oh God, I don't, I really don't want to copy anything he says, or I'll yeah, feel like uh, a, I feel I, like a jerk. That's uh, fine. Um, Would have been fine. Um, but yeah, I'm, I again, Crimi, like most of this kind of European genre stuff, I'm coming to a lot of this stuff new. So um, my experience of crimis is fairly limited. So reading that book, I really, really encouraged me to uh, to watch more. So I was very pleased to get the Christopher Lee Volume Two set. So I've already watched the is it the Yellow Daffodils? No, no, no. It's uh, the Secret it of the called? Red Orchid is in that. Well, Red Orchid, the Yellow Daffodils is a different one. Yeah. There's, yeah. It's very easy to get these titles confused. Yeah, the Red Orchid. Yeah, that one was fun. Um, and I have bought myself one of the German Blu-ray box sets that has got English subtitles, so I'm I'm catching up on those. But I really enjoyed your interview with him. Anyway, it was uh, really interesting to hear what he had to say about it. Oh, it's it's yeah, it's a great book. And of course, those films they're they're kind of an untapped space for uh, at least for mm. uh, British and uh, American audiences. Uh, I think they've kind of fallen to the wayside i don't think that they've they're, they're not you know they've not really been much in the way of of decent releases no. over here i mean you know excellent releases there in germany obviously but at the same time the the space that they filled in uh, genre cinema is very important and i think that uh, the more attention that we can bring to the crimi genre the better because the it's it's fascinating you're not going to be displeased watching those movies they are crowd pleasers to say the least i mean they were huge yeah. huge box office hits every single one of them when they when they were released back in the 60s and well 50s and 60s and all the way up to the 70s depending on how you want to count them and there's just mm-hmm. there's so many of them they're so entertaining and they're uh, they're, they're just they're just great films and i like i say i've i've always kind of peppered those movies one way or another throughout my for, throughout my viewing for you know more than 20 some odd years now and it becomes more and more evident there are these little niches like that that are not they're not as well known as i think they should be and i'm anything that brings attention to the to that genre the better of course you probably heard in my in my podcast me putting the bug in Mr. Schlegel's ear about what uh, untapped yeah, next and, uh, book. Yeah, the next book that he needs to write. Which, okay, he's, well, a, did he's make, under no obligation, but hey. It, it made me think, obviously, this is the first book, uh, the first English language book, really, on the Crimi films, which seems extraordinary given how important they are, like you say. Um, but it made me think there's another gap in the market there, which is somebody should do a book on the Brian Edgar Wallace Crimi films. Oh, yeah. That's very. 
that's completely untapped and uh, I'll I, I thought briefly oh I should add that to my I'll add that to my list of books I might write one day but <laughs> well, I mean, it, 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 it's 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 a great thing. Remember, he he yeah. shrunk it. He shrunk down just to keep the book under control. He shrunk it down to just the stuff put out by Rialto, mm -hmm. and there yeah. is that competing series of films from CCC, yeah. which is also well worthy of attention. So yeah, yeah. And I am on a bit of a Edgar Wallace kick at the moment. Um, so yeah, maybe. But anyway, anyway, anyway. I mean, obviously, there are also interesting connections between Edgar Wallace and the Crimmies and then Italian films and all of these things so there's a lot of blurred lines but let's get to a movie for uh for this episode which um has a couple of different names and we could call it tough cop or we could call it well the italian title il truchido e el spiro which i'm sure i pronounced wrong il trucido i don't know anyway which translates as the murderer and the cop uh, it's just been released in the UK under its longer title, Freehand for a Tough Cop. is really great i was just listening to it again before we started recording such a cool opening theme so here we are again now this last episode um talked a lot about thomas Melian and how it took me half an hour into the film to realize that it was him now this in my head is what thomas Melian looks like i for full full head of super curly hair that looks like it hasn't been washed in about two months and yeah. uh eyeliner yeah, yeah eyeliner beard big curly wig this is the thomas millian that i always have in my head so um no absolutely no mistaking him uh in this movie so we're we've got uh all the big hitters here really thomas millian claudia Casanelli, we've got henry silva and of course umberto lenzi i mean you know we could spend hours talking about just one of those people oh well i mean don't don't forget dardando sarchetti too Oh, uh, I mean, Sacchetti, yes. Sacchetti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Screen, what, what a screenwriter. Screenwriter, yeah. yeah. Well, well, okay, as you've brought him up, tell us about him. Oh, well, uh, he's a name who, uh, I, if you if you start watching not just this particular uh, type of film, but a lot of different types of Italian films uh, from the 60s, 70s, all the way up through the 80s, you're going to run across Dardendo Sacchetti's uh, name repeatedly because he mm -hmm. was involved in, well, let's just say his name shows up on almost a hundred different screenplays. So yeah, it's kind of hard to avoid him. Uh, and he even has uncredited rewrite uh, uh, information. Yeah, I was going to say, he's, he seems to have just as many uncredited mm -hmm. credits. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, yeah, some amazing, for all the big hit, heavy hitting Italian genre films, his name's attached to them which is i mean incredible. just in this genre alone we're talking about uh emergency squad uh, uh the tough ones the cynic the rat and the fist stunt squad uh a man mm -hmm. called magnum i mean that's just some of the the uh 
the, stu the stuff he did for you know the the cop genre in the 70s he was credited with the story on uh, uh baba's bay of blood he was credited with the mm -hmm. story on cat of nine tales hang on Argento. hang on there, there was a there was a story in bay of blood oh really <laughs> that's the first i've heard of course there's a story in bay of blood you gotta string just... you gotta string those murders all together <laughs> wow it's about yeah, it's it, a... it's it's about the whole movie's theme is about greed and the and the the horrors thereof man that's the yeah. that's the beauty of bay of blood is that if you don't pick up on that theme you're not watching the movie properly come on just, yeah okay i'll try i'll try again <laughs> but yeah i mean he did some like uh another barber yeah but he did shock barbers um mm -hmm. shock he's he's got a credit well uncredited contribution to zombie flesh eaters uh he's he wrote cannibal apocalypse um Oh, just a whole bunch. Let's not read them all out. But even Amityville 2, he, his name is attached to that, which is one of the greatest sequels. Yeah, yeah. He, he He's one of the many writers credited for uh, one of my favorite uh, non-gore fests from uh, Lucio Fulci, The Psychic, or Murder to the Tune of Seven Black Notes. Yeah, um, that is good. I just, I mean, again, as I keep saying, I'm watching all this stuff generally for the first time. So yeah, I just saw that um recently it just came out on blu-ray over here a couple of months ago and i again i reviewed it for cinema retro and i'd never seen that before what a great film that was yeah it's a it's a hell of wow. a film and, and like i yeah. say it, it it you know if you just know his name because he he plop pops up with credits on the screenplays of you know city of the living dead for fulci and the beyond and house mm. by the cemetery for fulci as well as the new york ripper manhattan baby you know that that that's all well and good, but I mean he 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 did a lot of work. He he did the screenplay for the Last Hunter for uh, Margariti, and uh, uh, the the well he worked with Margariti more than more than once or twice. But also mm -hmm. he, he moved smoothly into the eighties very very well with uh, screenplays for nineteen ninety The Bronx Warrior. Uh, and uh, Iron Master, one of my favorite under underappreciated uh, barbarian films. I think that I, I absolutely love that. And then uh, for uh, Bava's uh, Baby Boy, that B. Lamberto, he he wrote uh, Blast Fighter, Devilfish, Blade in the Dark. Um, it's it's kind of hard yeah. to to not be really impressed when you realize just how extensive his credits were. Yeah. Um, come on, this is the man who wrote. Demons and demons too. If you can't, if you can't spin total madness out of a, a nonsensical plot line like this man can, then you just don't need to be writing a screenplay. I'm sorry. No. And so yeah, he did work. But coming back to Margariti, he 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 wrote a few things for Margariti, and he's actually um, he's in that great documentary, The Outsider, Il Cinema di Antonio Margariti, mm -hmm. um, that his son was uh, the Margariti son was kind of behind. Uh, he's interviewed in that, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, an amazing career. Still working up until fairly recently. Uh, lots of TV, which is where everybody seemed to end up by the mid '90s. It was just yeah, pretty much all production in Italy is just on television. But what I also like, just the last mention here, is that he wrote Killer Crocodile and Killer Crocodile Two. Um, well, you, you, you got to know those are scripts that you just write immediately back to back. I mean, that's yeah. that's the way you do. And that. he's he's actually, I think he has a cameo in Killer Crocodile too. Um, I did, in case anyone's interested, I did actually do an episode of the B movie cast on Killer Crocodile um, earlier this year, maybe. 
that's a that's a fun movie but um yeah so we uh we owe this guy a great uh debt of uh we owe a lot of gratitude for his contribution to the films that we love and continue to uh, discover that's right people dardando sacchetti watch watch out for Sa- dardando sacchetti's name in the screenplay credits because you're you know you're in for something interesting yeah also known as david parker jr i know i love the student i love the old pseudonyms for for, for for american consumption i don't know how he fitted all this in and the theme to ghostbusters but um... <laughs> i think you i think you i think you've mixed two people up there yeah. i'm gonna go out on a limb and think <laughs> and, and claim that you mixed two people up there uh yeah so yeah pretty amazing contribution he wrote this with umberto lenzi and I'm trying to think, have we done Umberto Lenzi? I'm, I'm getting all of these things mixed up now. You know, we, I have don't, we done Umberto Lenzi before? Was this our first Lenzi? I seems don't extraordinary. Know. Uh, if I we mean, haven't. we, you know, I don't think that we if actually we have. Did, I think we? that we've, we've covered a couple of films that um, Mr. Lindsay had a, you know, it was, it was like a second unit director and things like that on, mm. but I don't think that we've yeah. ever. Okay. Dive well, headlong in that case, into his work. No. Um, we don't want to spend ages on it, but should we just briefly share our enthusiasm for Umberto Lenzi? Do you have a favorite Lenzi movie? Oh my goodness. I have That's probably question, five perhaps. different favorite movies. My uh, Once again, I'm just going to tout the, the joys of the underappreciated Iron Master uh, from 1983 mm. uh, simply because <laughs> I'm insane. But uh, of course... If you if you've seen much in the way of Umberto Lindsay, if you if you want to know what his name should attach to in your head, it's probably something along the lines of Nightmare City from 1980, which oh, is so good. Yeah, if you if you want to talk about a film that that has dream logic slash no logic, Nightmare City is your zombie oh, it's boat. Fabulous, it's really good. It's it's astonishing. I, yeah, and I recently, well, I say recently, maybe a year or so ago, I wrote an article for Screen Magazine on Italian cannibal films. And um, and so I talked at length about Eaten Alive and Cannibal Ferox, and I know I may be in the minority here, but I re- oh, and Man from Deep River, so I really enjoy the Italian cannibal films, which I know sounds wrong, um, and Umberto Lenzi effectively kind of started that off with Man from Deep River, yeah, and then kind of took it to delirious heights with Cannibal <laughs> Ferox, and uh, and Eaten Alive is amazing. I really love that film. Um, yeah, he's just done so many interesting things, and obviously loads of Jally, mm-hmm. as well as Poliziotteschi. Um, one that I really like. Obviously, he did all of those. What are they called? He did all those films with. Um, oh, with Carol, Carol Baker. Baker. Yeah, those yeah. those wonderful, wonderful thrillers. Yeah. Yes. And I like the uh, what's it called? Oasis of Fear. Mm-hmm. Or um, also known as a nice place to kill, a quiet place to kill. There's a couple of his films that both. Quiet place to kill is a different film, yeah. Yeah, is it called a nice place? I don't know. There's a couple of different titles, but anyway, yeah, extraordinary career. Um, and I'm well, sure. And also, although... now that we've mentioned the Crimmies, of course, if he, depending on how they credit them, he 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 directed what is either a giallo or a crimi, the very oh, yeah. last of that cycle, Seven Bloodstained Orchids in 1972. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But then again, I mean, you look at you look at the stuff. I mean, yes, the Carol Baker thrillers. Now there's a wonderful box set that's come out in the past couple of years mm-hmm. that'll, that that will show you just how talented a man he was. And of course, most people 
I, I fell into the to the trap that a lot of people do with Umberto Lindsay, which is that uh, the first things I saw from him were, you know, things like Nightmare City and Cannibal Ferox and Eaten Alive. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, this is this guy's a this guy's a, a bit of a, a gore hack and whatever. And it wasn't until after I'd seen those movies that I backed up and started seeing the incredible crime films that he made in the 70s and then realized, oh, and he also made some very interesting uh, giallos, you know, things like Knife of Ice and Blood, you know, Seven Bloodstained Orchids. And and I have to admit, I'm still continuing to uh, be impressed by... But the further back I go into Umberto Lindsay's uh, list of credits, I guarantee you, I, I continue to be impressed because mm-hmm. only in the past few years have I discovered just how much I enjoy the, uh, some of the movies he made in the early and mid '60s that mm-hmm. were uh, okay, kind so of adventure it's peplum, films, peplum films, and stuff, well, pirate or, films or, pe- or peplum connected uh, kind yeah. of th- things like uh, the Triumph of Robin Hood and the. Invincible. I was going to say. Yeah. You love Robin. You love Robin Hood movies, so you must <laughs> well, I, I, I do. And so there, there is that that weakness there. But also things like the Invincible Masked Rider, uh, basically yeah. these period adventure films. You know where it's 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 sword it's it's sword play rather than gunplay for the most part. Mm-hmm. I, it, they're they're an absolute joy. I just get so much of a kick out of them, and he really made some great ones. And I still haven't. Uh, I haven't gone a whole hog into his Sandokan stuff uh, that right. he made in the '60s and then returned to uh, in the '90s yeah. for Italian television. I, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm wanting to dive into those as well, but it's like you know you you couple that with the rest of his stuff in the '60s, all oh. the uh, the Eurospy stuff and things like that, and it's just like you know was there yeah. he's he's someone who I. I'm aligned at least to myself for for a number of years before discovering just how impressive his 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 uh, his abilities were. He he was an amazing he's an amazing director. Umberto Lindsay. Yeah. Don't uh, don't sleep on this guy. And it is a, a very similar career to somebody like Margariti, where you you can look at the list of films and it it's a, it, you can overlay a map of what was going on in Italian genre cinema oh yeah and like what the what the you know which were the commercial drivers behind each of these genres and you you can just see that he's right there doing basically whatever was making money so he goes he goes through peplums and adventure films into euro spy um westerns and jally and yeah just all the way through and in each one of the genres that he touches on he ends up directing at least one incredibly standout element a standout example of each of those genres and it's like you know i mean you 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 look at things like um gang war in milan and then that's a great one yeah with within you and then after that he he directs spasmo which is uh, this incredible or or knife of ice you know before Mm -hmm. it where you're looking at these these giallos that are astonishing and then almost human which is one of the most incredible of the crime films that he made and then back to back with eyeball which is (laughs) one of the most insane giallos you're ever gonna see in your life and then he segues into making you know a lot of these these cop films like we're discussing today and there's a he made at least five of them that i would that i would point to and say those are really good starting points for for this entire genre yeah there's a good interview with him on the disc for i think it's the cynic the rat and the fist um with maurizio merley and he talks about how he always thought Maurizio Merli would end up dying on one of his films because the stuff that he had to do was so dangerous. <laughs> um, and then actually Maurizio Merli, I think he died quite young, but like just he had a heart attack playing tennis. 
rather than actually doing a stunt for Umberto Lenzi. But uh, oh yeah, he his films are pretty um, full on, and uh, and yeah, Tough Cop is a good example of one of those sort of right in the middle there of of what he was doing. Yeah. And it's also it's an interesting one. Um, so in Roberto Curti's book, he talks about how this film is kind of the beginning of it. He calls it the beginning of a new wave because up until this point the films are starting to become quite re repetitive and they're just sort of getting a bit stagnant and then he he points this film out as kind of renewing the Poliziotesque partly well mostly through the Manetza character played by Thomas Millian and Manetza translates as trash yeah apparently. so uh, bringing that character in and who's basically very similar to the character that he plays in The Big Gun Down. Um, and also he plays another character a bit like it in The Cop in Blue Jeans. So bringing this character in, and there's a kind of element of the buddy comedy in this movie, as well as all the kind of harsh stuff as well. And he really helped to sort of refresh the cop genre with this movie. I mean, I, which I think that's I, I, I would agree with that. I haven't seen as many as Roberto Curti but uh, I'd certainly agree that this film does f seem to be bringing something new well if you came to these films the way that most people came to these films which is kind of in a jumble uh, you know you're not watching them the way they came out most of us weren't around in the 70s to be experiencing these movies as they came out in the theaters so the the, the fact that uh, this this signals a change in tone, if not a. Well, it really kind of signals a, a bit of a change in approach as well. The whole buddy cop genre starts to become something that is creeping into kind of the standard format here. And this, this, the, I mean, it's it's hard to not look at Freehand for a Tough Cop and not see Forty Eight Hours. Mm. Uh, from 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 you know from the from the early eighties, we're talking about yeah. the same kind of setup with just some variations. You know, yeah. a cop needs uh, the the help of a convict who's in prison, gets him out of prison so that he can use him for his own ends, and of course complications ensue. And so, same basic plot. Uh, well, before mm -hmm. we go on, I want to I want to ask a simple question. Uh, I was trying for the life of me to figure out why in the English dub they refer to Thomas Melian's character as garbage can. Mm. Uh, and of course, I, I, it's not hard to figure out when you know what the what is what they're calling him in Italian. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, it's, it's got too many symbols. You just can't call him trash in English because it's too few yeah, syllables to make it work. Manets, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've, you've got to stretch it out. So garbage can. But to be honest, the beauty of that is that I, I, every time they call him garbage can, I'm just grinning from ear to ear and <laughs> thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it's exactly mm -hmm. what I would call this character. Now, of course, Umberto Lenzi, just a couple of years later, would have another hero called Trash mm -hmm. in Bronx Warriors. So... It is. Uh, it does seem to be a name that he returned to yeah, for some it's reason. It's a name you know. that he came back to. Yeah, and we've also got. We've, we've. I think we've talked about Claudio Casanelli before. This we've done films with, that he's been in before, haven't we? Um, I think. Which film did we do with Casanelli? Uh, I'm trying oh, to remember. Man. I'm sure it was one of them. <laughs> so many. Well, I mean, you know, uh, he he does play Zeus in in Hercules, so uh, that that yeah. that that will always ring a bell for me. But um, it's true. I'm pretty sure Casanelli has uh, has come into this before, but anyway, I really like him, 
and he's done loads of these films as well. But should we, um, as we're at, we're half an hour in, should we uh, have a quick go at the plot? Oh, well, he, was in, I, uh, he was in uh, What Have They Done to Your Daughters? Oh, yeah, 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 of course. There you go. He was the inspector. No, he's, he's great. He's really good. Um, so I'll we'll do some of the plot, but again, because this is perhaps a film that's not quite as famous as some of the others, and I don't want to give it all away, but... Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, yeah so there's there's good twists and turns yeah this is in this one I don't want to give away oh um, by, by the way uh, one last weird quirk do you think it was in the screenplay or just a quirk of what Thomas Milian wanted to do that his character wears nothing but flip flops throughout the entire film <laughs> to me I that seems the... to be I bet you money that was an actor's choice. Yeah, I get the feeling he brought, he brought his own costume to the set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably yeah. he probably slept in that costume yeah. for weeks while they were making this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, he's great. So now the I watched this film on the new Blu-ray from a there's a new company in the UK called Fractured Visions, and this was one of their first releases. And uh, it's great. It's got loads of good extras on it and stuff. But there's a bit of a glitch on the menu. And so it played the menu, um, like background film, runs for a full minute before any of the options come up. And I'm thinking this is a bit weird. That so weird. I was already, I was already thinking, is there something wrong with this disc? So then the film starts, and it's we're in the middle of a western. And I thought, oh, yeah. oh there's something wrong with this. They've sent the wrong, you know, they've really screwed up something here. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so the film, like deliberately plays a trick on the audience by starting the the opening credits are over scenes from a western now i don't know whether that's whether i should have recognized what western that was from or whether they were seen specifically shot for this movie i don't know but yeah it starts off and we're in yeah i don't know but it's really confusing (laughs) oh yeah there's 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 nothing like sitting down to watch what you know is going to be a, a cop thriller and going, ah, oh, crap! Did I push the wrong button? What the yeah. hell? <laughs> What's this? <laughs> so the, we get the opening credits playing over a western, and I, I um, and obviously Umberto Lenzi had made westerns before, and Thomas Milian has been in westerns. And um, again, Roberto, I'm not, I don't want to claim this is my own point. Roberto Curti says that um, there's a good, you know, that this film makes that connection that these films have with the western quite explicit. That several of the Plitzitesky films are leaning quite heavily into, you know, they could be Westerns if you just gave everybody cowboy hats. Like the stories fit quite well with, um, with, and the characters are quite similar to people you would find in Westerns. So I thought it was interesting that we start off in a Western. Yeah, it's very, um, e- it's very easy to imagine this exact yeah. same scenario and story but, being but the transplanted camera, to the Old West. Yeah, I mean, the camera kind of pulls back and we're actually in a prison watching a Western and um, Thomas Milian's character Manetza, he's he's a prisoner. That's where he's, he's in prison. Um, and they're all they're all like taking the Mickey out of this film, and they're shouting at it and calling the sheriff names. And <laughs> you know, it's like Umberto Lenzi is putting the final nail in the Western coffin here by having his characters complain about westerns. Well, in '76, I mean, that's when this film came out. That would not mm. that that that. You know the the spaghetti western cycle had run its course. I mean, there were still yeah, a couple of spaghetti good. westerns that were going to come out over the course of the next couple of years, but you know the the, the that genre had died by then. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, meanwhile, we have a police commissioner, Antonio Sarti, played by Claudio Casanelli. And there is a gangster called Brescianelli who has kidnapped a 12-year-old girl and is demanding a ransom. Now, this girl uh, needs regular visits to hospital or she will die because she's got kidney failure. So Sarti wants to find her as quickly as he can. And he, for reasons that I can't quite remember, he thinks that the, the only way he's going to find her is by breaking Manetza out of prison to help him find Brescianelli. I think he knows that Manetza has worked for Brescianelli in the past. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, also, he's just got uh, the, the, our buddy Garbage Can here, Thomas Milion's character, has got so many underworld connections and is so well yeah. known in the underworld that he'll be able to facilitate finding where in the hell they've got this little girl stashed because they're on a timeline they re really yeah. know that they've only got a certain number of days uh, yeah. less than a week or this girl's yeah. gonna die mm. and so there's a great sequence where he um he breaks him out of prison which reminds didn't we just watch another film where somebody got broke out of prison was that revolt uh revolver yes exactly where you know that <laughs> that in revolver it's 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 a it it's arranged you know the, they put pressure on the warden and he he facilitates this yeah and in this it, I don't I don't know if this was a good idea for for a police officer to do this but he just breaks this guy out of prison <laughs> I mean, yeah. this is no, no matter what happens after the fact doesn't he have to answer for this I yeah. mean this is a criminal act he doesn't take the time well, to go through the the, there's the, no due process, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there's. There, I mean, the thing is, is I understand he's under pressure and he's only got a certain amount of time, or this little girl's going to die, and so it's free hand for a tough cop. I get it, mm -hmm. but at the same time, boy, he's going to have to answer for that later on, isn't he? I mean, yep. And so um, Manetza eventually agrees to go along with this, and um, brings in three of his friends uh, to to help them. Um, Initially but, lying to them about the fact that this guy, well, they, 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 yeah. hide, they hide the fact that his, that his a partner is a cop until yeah. that, that's no longer possible. And then just, let's just and say a certain amount of persuasion is involved in keeping the he, criminals along for the ride. Yeah, he persuades, doesn't he? Oh, now I'm, all these films are starting to get mixed up in my head because we've watched so many. He helps them to rob a train uh, to prove that he's... That he's on board, yeah. Yeah, is that right? There's a really funny scene where one of the guys is there when they're sitting on the train before the robbery and he's just openly reading a porn mag sitting next to a <laughs> yes. priest, which is pretty funny. I know. Well, that that and, the, and the, the looks that he's getting from some of the other passengers is pretty. Amazing, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I get, there's a lot about this film. That, there's a lot of it's not quite like it's it's not winking at you. I mean, it's still taking itself seriously, but there's plenty to kind of make you smile at the same time. And that's definitely one of those um well i mean anyway may, 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 well maybe oh. this is the time to bring this up because um th this is something that i mean I, I, we should introduce this especially for people who are unaware of the umberto Lindsay crime movies um in general there, there's a certain i'm going to be i'm going to be generous in some of my terminology but then i might not be as i move along through this discussion uh there's a certain looseness to the way in which uh umberto Lindsay's films during this period were constructed for for instance it would be very easy to point out that 
hey, maybe, you know, there's no reason to go out of your way to have this breaking out of prison segment at the beginning of the movie just to kick the movie into gear. Uh, when, you know, logically, I'm sure that the cops could have found a way to get him out of prison, you know, too, you yeah. know within a couple of hours without yeah. too much trouble because of the circumstances in which they find themselves trying to, you know, save this girl's life. But, yeah. okay, okay, well, we'll you know, that whatever. But the looseness that I am talking about is sometimes... Uh, some, some, sometimes it rears its head and sometimes the movie uh, kind of tweaks your nose for thinking that the movie's being sloppy in a way by pulling that wonderful thing that a lot of thrillers can and I'm not going to reveal things about this movie because I do think that this is this is a really impressive example of genre and I think people need to seek yeah. it out if they're curious but essentially by having by 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 kind of pushing the story along and in a way that immediately makes any savvy viewer go, "Hey, wait a minute! What are we? What are we doing here? Why are we? Why are we at this point? Why are we doing this?" And then, in just a few minutes, as the sequence plays out, making you realize, "Oh, okay, okay. Either we there was no point in 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 showing the setup for this, or by not showing you the setup, we not only moved the film along a little quicker and got the the plot into motion a little faster." But it's also another way to kind of keep you engaged because that that questioning that a viewer will have immediately makes you kind of lean into what you're doing and paying attention. Mm-hmm. But at times, the the kind of looseness or sloppiness, like I say, I'm trying to be careful <laughs> with my terminology mm-hmm. here, yeah. does feel as if there is a kind of uh, a kind of sloppiness in the in the construction that is sometimes just being papered over by other elements of the film. And in some cases, it's being papered over by the skill of the director. Sometimes it's being papered over by the fact that the movie is just throwing some really interesting stunts or some really interesting action set pieces at you. Mm. But there is a certain amount of, uh, let, let, let's call it WTFing, that will happen while you're watching some of these Umberto Lindsay films yeah. like this. Sometimes those moments have a payoff that allow you to reconcile that in your thoughts on the logic of what you're being shown. And sometimes it's not necessarily true. And mm-hmm. so it becomes more difficult to, to ascertain whether or not they're, they're rushing through some things in the construction of these movies or not. In other words, are they, are they playing with you intentionally or are they, they playing with you because they kind of uh, uh, need to get the film in the can? And uh, I would say this never ends up harming my my uh love of these movies or my enjoyment of them at all but i'll give a i'll give an interesting example of this um Mm. from another umberto Lindsay crime film to get so that i'm not ruining this one at all and of course this wouldn't this wouldn't ruin the other film either uh this is another thomas Melian film (laughs) directed by Lindsay called syndicate sadists oh yeah it's one of the first of the the umberto Lindsay crime films that i ever saw because it got released on DVD very early in the uh, the 2000s over here, and uh, so I got to I got, it's one you can get a really good look at, and I, I I still have the DVD, and I think it's a great little film. But there comes a point in the movie where we're introduced to Thomas Melian, uh, who's playing a cop in that movie, uh, sitting in a uh, a large truck talking, you know, with a couple of other guys. And they're just and they're watching something go to, go down, and then all of a sudden we cut to Thomas Melian on a motorcycle, rocketing out the back of this truck to take mm-hmm. off after some people, 
And of course, we've been given no information about there being a motorcycle in the back of the truck. We've been given no indication that that's exactly the plan. We've been given no indication that anything like this is going to occur in the movie. It's just, a, it's a smash cut into him rocketing out of the back of the truck. And of course, it's it's one of those things where it's 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 smart filmmaking from a number of perspectives, but at the same time, it it jolts you in a way that kind of makes you as a viewer go, well, what the hell? Why are we, why, why are we suddenly here? Why are we doing this now? They yeah. were just, we, we just cut from them speaking about what they're doing to this now. And like I say, it's either, a, you can look at it as intentional or non-intentional or a, a, kind of a, a cut to the chase mentality with these movies. But regardless, whatever that looseness or, you know, sloppiness, whatever it may be. It's another element of these Umberto Lindsay crime movies that keeps you as a viewer engaged in a way that some others don't necessarily. Because, you know, mm-hmm. some of these directors can can follow a template or follow a script to a, to a meticulous degree to the point where it becomes uh, a kind of by rote thing. And I do wonder if at a certain point, like you were talking about earlier, that this cycle was starting to kind of feel a little stale and maybe mm. some of these elements, and there are a number of them here in Freehand for a Tough Cop, where you're looking at this uh, this scenario and going, what can we do to enliven this? You know, we're telling a similar mm. story to other films, but how can we present this in a way that, that perks it up and makes the people who have seen a few of these uh, kind of, you know, sit back in their chair with a bit of a surprise? And so Lindsay is, I, can, I think, continues to be underestimated and that that feeling of unease about whether or not the movie is being handled with a firm hand yeah. kind of contributes to my my uh, feeling of being impressed by him as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I know I just rambled on for about 25 no, minutes there. Sorry. Good. Uh, no, I think you're absolutely right. No, it is really interesting. Um, I, mean, I don't know how much more we want to say about this movie other than everyone should watch it, which is... <laughs> Perhaps a bit a bit predictable. Well, I've um, got I, well, I've got a couple of. Well, let's let's talk for a moment yeah. about Henry Silva. Okay. Yes. Go on. I I don't know if we've seen him yet in any of these other films. No, we, another, we we have not. And I'll be. He's shocked. another familiar face in in these kinds of movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's Henry Silva uh, was. Well, as soon as you see his face, first of all, if you've watched. If you've watched 150 movies in your life, he's been in 40 of them. It's kind yeah. of astonishing. I mean, he's and he's still alive, isn't he? He's still around, I believe. Uh, I yeah, I do believe he's it. Like Mr. Silva is still kicking, which is a bit of a shock. 90s. Yeah. He's in his 90s. He was born in 1928, so mm-hmm. he is really getting up there. Which means that he may actually be evil because he's living this long. I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. the uh, I mean, th- this is a man whose career. My God, how many movies was he in? Three thousand? No, uh, only about mm-hmm. one hundred and fifty. But the the joys of watching uh, for 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 Henry for Henry Silva. My goodness, the his career. He start remember he's an American actor. He started out um, as you know making films in the uh, the the late fifties, early sixties, uh, tele- mm-hmm. television and and films. Realized that his career was not really going to go where he wanted it to go. And so in the mid-60s... Went to Europe. Went to Europe, baby. Oh, it's that's like, what we do. Mm-hmm. I Makes mean, you, you go from, you know, The Outer Limits and Voice to the Bottom of the Sea to I'm going to start star- starring in films in Europe. And, mm-hmm. man, did, he, did his career go berserk. 
because and I think because he has that kind of Italian look yeah which I'm sure helped he's got the natural look of a hard man I mean this is mm-hmm. a guy who can without with just a glance be, be you know convince you that he's murdered many people and you just <laughs> might be next yeah <laughs> so the number yeah. of crime films that he was in in the 70s is astonishing you know he was in the boss and the italian connection and all these different movies mm. cry cry of a prostitute which is a harsh harsh yeah. movie there oh my god uh, almost, almost human, human which yeah. you mentioned before where he plays basically dirty harry to yeah exactly pretty I much mean, <laughs> yeah he worked he worked with thomas Milian several times yeah um uh, but the uh no, it's great He's he's amazing. I mean, but at the same time, he was also popping up in you know Buck Rogers in the twenty fifth century back in the states mm, too. Wow. I, I, yeah, I, playing playing a major villain in that, and then yeah. he he segued into you know going back to America and and being in films there. So he kept popping back and forth across the Atlantic. Yeah. I mean, he's I mean, you know, he's the bad guy. Well, the bad guy, quote unquote. There's almost nothing of. I, I, he's in Megaforce. Let's just put it that way. Mm, well, I mean, given the opportunity, we would all be in Megaforce, wouldn't we? <laughs> uh, and I know no, I'd be in no, line. I'd, I'd be first. In, I would be first in line to be in uh, uh, Buck Rogers. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, at the same time, he's in Buck Rogers. He's an alligator. Yeah. He's in Sh- he's in Sharky's oh. machi- he's in Sharky's machine. He's in yeah, Chained Heat. And then, of course, you know, back in Italy, he's in Escape from the Bronx. Yeah. He's in he's in Cannonball Run two for God's sake. <laughs> mm-hmm. and then he's, is, yeah, then every, he's in you know one of the one of the best movie. of the uh, he's he's in he's in one of the best of the Chuck Norris films, Code of Silence. I mean, it, it, it's yeah, it, it, you're back and forth. And then God save us all. He's also in he's he, yeah, he's also in the best of the Steven Seagal films, Above the Law. So what what do you say other than give this man his Oscar already? Yeah, and uh, it's long overdue. Award. And some kind of special award for his agent. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> let, let, let's put it this way: he, he he was in he was in Dick Tracy, and and in a film called Silence of the Hams. Come on, yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, he's great in this. He plays he plays Brescianelli, which was apparently based on a real kind of mafia mafioso gangster in Italy, um, according again according to the book. Um, and he's kidnapped this kid, but yeah, like you said, he's basically just going to let the child die. Um, the film becomes this kind of urgent chase with also, as well as trying to find the girl, mm. um, Sati, Canario Casanelli, he's got to keep everything. He's got to keep a lot of plates spinning because if his cover gets blown or if anything goes wrong with this madcap scheme, then it's all over. There's one point where, isn't there a point where him and Manetza pretend to be painters and decorators in a police station? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I can't remember what information he's trying to get from the police station, but he has to. They're trying to get. A, they're they're trying station. to question somebody who's uh, locked up there. Oh, or yes, that was it. That was it. But but yeah, the the, the movie, and, and this is the this is the joy of a movie like this. It provides a lot of different scenarios built within its story to keep. Um, to keep you entertained because of all the hoops that the characters who are trying to do what they're doing have to jump through all of these different hoops. And you're yeah. right about keeping all the plates spinning because mm-hmm. periodically this, this, this freaking tough cop has got to, you know, make his case to his boss to keep the higher ups from screwing with him. 
because yeah. they don't see, you know, they, they, they keep screwing up and they keep failing and not, you know, not, they haven't found the kid yet. And so he's got to keep convincing his superiors to let him continue on his path. And, um, so he's, he's yeah. got that. He's got to keep the, the criminals he's working with from finding out that he's a cop. And then, uh, once they find out that he's a cop, they've got to, <laughs> they've, they've got to, you know, they, they've got to find a way to keep the, the criminals, uh, on board with what they're doing yeah. Because Without being stabbed in the back, right? Well, because I mean, because while while garbage cans pretty straightforward after after a certain point early on, that as far as he's concerned, we're going to save this kid. Uh, the other the other criminals, you know, may or may not give a damn about this this little girl yeah. and are much more interested in what money they can they can wring or money or, yeah. or jewels or whatever they can wring out of the uh, the attempt along the way. There's a great sequence towards the end where they have to kind of raid, um, I think it's Brescianelli's hideout. And there's mm -hmm. a really great shootout in this building. There's a lot of good action. There is. Um, which uh, I don't want don't to spoil too much. So th this is definitely a film, as we, I think we just say this now in every episode, definitely a film to seek out. And if you enjoy Thomas Millian's character, Garbage Can or Manetza, then you can catch him playing the same character in uh, Destruction see. Force. Yeah, there's um, Destruction Force, which came immediately after this. Then there's Brothers Till We Die, where he plays the same character again. That's an Umberto Lenzi one as well. Have you seen either he, of those movies? I've seen, I think I've seen Brothers Till We Die. I, I don't think. know that I've seen either one of them, yeah. which, is, which makes, me, makes me feel kind of ashamed. He then came back to Manetza a couple of years later for a Bruno Corbucci film called Un Contro L'Altro Practicamente Amici, um, which don't ask me to do a live translation, but it's <laughs> it's based something against, oh, I don't know. Anyway, I'm not going to, there's no English translation on the IMDb. So, um, yeah, and, I've, and I've not seen that one either. No, 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 me neither. So that one came later, but that's um, yeah. So that's like four different, four different films where he plays this character. So clearly, you know, he. I think he had a lot to do with creating that character in the first place. Well, I think that um, uh, that obviously Melian enjoyed the character, and I think one of the reasons yeah. why he may have enjoyed the character is uh, the fact that, I mean, let, let's let's be clear, we haven't talked about this element at all, and it won't ruin the film at all, but the character he's playing is essentially kind of a jester, a trickster character. And yeah. if you have any doubts about that, uh, the fact that he goes out of his way to dress up in different costumes and outfits to fool people throughout this story. Oh, there's that great bit where he's a shepherd. Yeah. Well, not only that. I mean, the, one of the one of the first things they have to do, he he they 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 grab the the outfit off of a off of a courier, a messenger boy, and he, oh, yeah. he so he he pretends to be the messenger boy so that they can get into this house to 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 find out something else. And it's just yeah. he by the, by the second or third costume change, it's like ding ding ding. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Very clearly, <laughs> this character is being played in a certain way this this is the court jester guy this is the trickster yeah. character and it's just it's kind of amazing and it makes me wonder if that's something that's continued through the other appearances of this yeah. character in those other movies yeah yeah he um i guess he was so loved from this film and he enjoyed playing the character so much that uh 
yeah that it just carries on even the um that second one destruction force that's not directed by Umberto Lenzi no no um, no I mean but, and, that, and that's one of the interesting Millian things plays yeah. the same the same character again yeah it's um, like, like how, said, how do you yeah. how do you how do you carry over I mean the the third one Brothers Till We Die is an Umberto Lenzi film but it's like you yeah. know how do you how do you get the, the the gumption to go ahead and just reuse the character for yeah. other people it's kind of wild yeah well it was there was a very loose um you know copyright was quite loose in those days i guess <laughs> well that's too that and i don't know that people really cared that much nobody was too worried about that but yeah do uh do seek this one out it's really uh it's again it's you know as we keep saying it's a great one and it's available on blu-ray um over here is it on blu-ray where you are did you yeah, how did no. you see it i d I don't know. I don't know if it's on Blu-ray over here or not. I have to admit, I do know. Was it was it was it released on Blu-ray over here as Tough Cop? Could be Tough Cop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it's released okay. on. Uh, yeah. Released on Blu-ray over here as yeah, yeah. Okay. The, uh, uh, but regardless, if you have any interest in this genre at all, this is a good yeah. example. Yeah. No, it's great. Okay. Well, I think we'll leave it there uh, for people to discover what happens. Do they rescue the girl? I mean, it's not guaranteed because there are other films where child, children are in peril oh, yeah. and it doesn't doesn't work out well for them. So, you know, no, yeah, <laughs> you can't assume you can't assume anything with this movie. <laughs> it's uh, it'll throw a curve. Yeah. What was that one? I just watched My Dear Killer. I watched that not that long ago, which has got a kidnapped little girl in a concrete bunker. Man, that's depressing. <laughs> um, anyway, oh, yeah, well, so, I don't mean to be laughing about the depressing aspect yeah, of it, but yeah, you're but you're yeah. right in that the the, <laughs> the the Italian filmmakers were were more than willing to throw a hideous yeah. thing at you and make you make you sit back and wonder just what kind of crazy person they were. Yeah. So yeah, you just don't know where, where it's going to go. Um, so thank you for listening. We'll leave that one there. I think for now, we've got two films left on this run. So do come back for our next episode where we're going to talk about the heroin busters so um that should be interesting uh, hopefully it's a that's another good one they're all good what can i say um the films i don't mean the episodes but the film well maybe <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the episodes are good hopefully hopefully okay so that's it for now thank you everybody um if you like the podcast please do leave us a review and a rating um, and share it on social media, all that good stuff. I have also set up a coffee link, uh, which is in the notes and also on the um, on the website for the podcast. So if you want to buy Rod or I a virtual coffee, uh, but you didn't know how to, now you can. Um, I don't actually drink coffee, so I don't either. I'll have to just yeah, I drink I drink tea. There we go. Well. You can buy us something. So uh, if you'd like to to donate towards the podcast, that's how you can do it. Um, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but anyway, I thought I did set that one up. But it would be great to be able to grow and have a much better website and maybe buy some better recording equipment and <laughs> pay a graphic designer. You know, all those things that would help us to, uh, to, to, to get even better at what we're doing. But uh, in the meantime... The fact that you've listened this far to the end of the episode is uh, is also great. So, yeah, it's 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 very encouraging to those of us making these shows. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, so, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we will be back soon, 
Um, bye for now. Bye, everyone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.